It's Wednesday, January 29th, 2019. I'm Herbie Newell, and this is the Defender Podcast, a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, recently I had the opportunity to sit down with Joseph and Palmer Williams at the ERLC's Evangelicals for Life Conference in Washington, D.C. Joseph and Palmer Williams are a husband and a wife duo who are founding partners of the Peacefield Group. Joseph specializes in legal and policy analysis, working to grow, organize, and activate millions of members of an international public interest level organization. He has served on the executive strategy team, handling constitutional litigation, media advocacy, digital fundraising, and grassroots organizing. With experience in government affairs on Capitol Hill, Joseph currently serves as a special advisor to Tennessee Governor Bill Haslam. Joseph earned his JD from Vanderbilt Law School and a bachelor's in economics and political science from Vanderbilt. Joseph and Palmer have two sons, Jack and Henry, and they live in Nashville, Tennessee. Palmer specializes in legal and policy analysis related to international human rights, sanctity of life, nonprofit operations, and government affairs. As a licensed attorney knowledgeable in international law, she has extensive experience advocating for human rights on the international stage, including at the United Nations. Additionally, she has worked with government agencies and faith-based organizations to launch statewide initiatives and grassroots organizing campaigns. Palmer assists clients in crafting messaging, long-term strategic planning, and operationalizing their values. She earned her JD from Vanderbilt with a bachelor's in political science and community development from Vanderbilt as well. Palmer also has spent several years living and serving in sub-Saharan Africa, working with grassroots NGOs serving vulnerable children and victims of HIV. Palmer serves on the board for Show Hope, a ministry founded by Stephen and Mary Beth Chapman, resourcing families who are called to adopt. So we are grateful just to be here uh, with Palmer and Joseph. And so first and foremost, you know, Obviously, Joseph, you no longer work for the Peaceful Group, but y'all worked together for a long time in the Peaceful Group, but also uh, even before that, uh, you've worked together in legal practice. So talk, talk a little bit about balancing marriage, family, and work, and how you've been able to you know, coexist together at work and at home and make it work successfully. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, we've been incredibly fortunate, and we feel like God has just been so gracious to let us work together. Um, it's been such a blessing for our family, and um, I think that works well, one, because we um, work in the same field, so we're both attorneys, um, but we have different specialties, which I think allows us both to kind of thrive, and um, we can help each other out on projects, but we're not kind of in competition, or, uh, which is, I think, important to that um, working with your spouse, um, but it has allowed a lot of co-parenting, and when I have a meeting, he can pick the kiddos, and, and vice versa, um, and so it's been a great way to raise our boys and get to spend time with them, especially there we have a four-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old and then another baby on the way. And so to have, for Joseph to get to spend more time than a lot of dads get to um, has just been a really special time for our family. So sure, there's definitely times when um, there's got to be boundaries that we set up of like, okay, we got to have a date night where we're not talking about work. Um, that's important, I think. Um, but it also allows us to have, a, you know, time together during the day and to really, um, you know, just as my closest confidant, I trust him the most in life, but also, I mean, my personal life, but also in professionally, 
um, I love being able to get advice from him. And, and I think it, in a lot of ways it's really strengthened our marriage um, to, to trust each other um, all day long. So, I think we're professionally and personally strongest, both individually and together, when we're working together as much as possible. I think we are better parents together when we're working together. I think our marriage is stronger when we're missionally united in purpose in everything we do 24 seven, um, because we are together parenting and making parenting decisions together. Um, we are working together on projects together. So I'll draft something, she'll review it and edit it and tell me, well, this is horrible. You should improve this. Uh, and when she drafts something, I'll be like, well, this is brilliant. I have no changes to make. And, and we work and complement each other really well there. Um, and it's been a huge blessing. And, and I actually think I, I go on this soapbox quite a bit, but I actually think what has happened in the last century to a century and a half in the West and kind of the industrialized West um, is, is the extreme outlier in human history. In most civilizations in human history, the primary economic unit in society is the family. And that's not just agricultural. That is also... Um, in townships, you know, whatever the father worked on, the sons would help, the daughters would help, the wife would help. Who was the primary business partner in the business that the family mm -hmm. operated? It was the husband and the wife together. Right. And it wasn't like, oh, the husband is the CEO here. It was no, like it was a united front. And Palmer and I, I think in the last couple of years, especially when we've had our own business together, but even when we worked at the same law firm before, we realized the benefits of working together. And I can't tell you the number of people that have come up to us and said, oh my gosh, like our marriage could never do that. And my thought is like, it's the best thing that's ever happened for right. our marriage is, is to be united in everything together all the time in terms of communication, um, in terms of, you know, all the various things we do both personally and professionally. Um, so I'm a huge advocate and I encourage people all the time to consider the radical step of mm. saying like, I'm not going to conform to kind of how our society's norms have been created here and that it could be really good for your family. Right. Um, I, you know, I, we just ran a campaign, um, the last, you know, couple year and a half, uh, for the state house and, and our family was missional and together and mm. everything we did every hour of the day towards that. Now it's not necessarily a sustainable thing. Um, but in terms of learning what it's like when a family with young children and a marriage is completely together striving towards a goal, I think it was a good example of how that can strengthen things um, and, and put everyone in an exponential sanctification microwave in the process. Which right. the, the Lord can do a lot of things through you when you're united together and realize you can't do it on your own. So, yeah, and I think that's such an important point because really – in the culture we're living in now, we have so uh, divided the family, really. Right. And the family yeah. is no longer the, the major unit of education, of socialization, of, uh, of camaraderie. And we see our kids are struggling in schools because of that. Our kids are struggling in society because their main identity comes from that. And then I, just even as you're talking, too, I think through the whole standpoint is that so many marriages enter into infatuation as opposed to love and commitment mm -hmm. and knowing that this is someone that you can partner with and work with. And so you're right, really, this should not be the exception. It should be right. the norm of 
what we do. Trevin Wax wrote a really good article that I often share with people on this topic for the Gospel Coalition. Um, and the tagline, which really caught my eye, was like, nowhere in the Bible does it say a man shall leave his wife and children and cleave to his office desk. Um, and, and it made both the theological arguments but also the historical arguments. Right. Like, we are living in a time in which we have very much messed up like in a lot of ways, God's intention for what families and marriages should look like. Um, and I think we're reaping the consequences in kind of the, what a lot of writers refer to as the loneliness epidemic that's right. currently existing um, is because a lot of kind of the structures we've established and it goes beyond the family unit, right? It goes between is the body of Christ being what it should be? Is, is it inwardly focused or is it outwardly focused? You know, Rosaria Butterfield has a great new book on Christian hospitality, which deals a lot with this, mm. uh, which is we're studying it right now with our church small group. And it has been radically convicting us. Um, caveat, only read it if you want to be completely wrecked and convicted. <laughs> right. But, but I think the same principles that are kind of decoupling the family and marriages from what it should be also apply to the Christian body as a whole. Right. And building these open communities where people feel welcome and loved just as they are, um, you know, and, and accepted even amongst disagreement and things, you know. And so I, we're, we're wrestling with that a lot right now. We don't claim to have all the answers, but I feel like, if anything, our experience of working together shows us how much we don't know right. uh, and, and opens our minds to possible, you know, un unusual situations like opening up our own law firm together and things like that. So, so talk about the law firm and, mm -hmm. and I guess Palmer, talk about it more since you're in it still, but y'all yeah. founded it together. Yeah. Uh, obviously now Joseph's moved on to the governor's office, but talk mm -hmm. a little bit about the Peaceful Group and what, what, what started that, the burden that started that and kind of what y'all do. Sure. Yeah. So, um, Joseph and I kind of have two different specialties in law. Mine is, um, international human dignity um, and, and sanctity of the life issues. And then Joseph is a constitutional lawyer. So think nerdy as you get, <laughs> American history, um, Supreme Court litigation and that kind of thing. Um, but actually a lot of organizations, um, especially in the advocacy space, um, deal with both issues. Right. So if they're, they're concerned with human dignity, they're dealing with constitutional issues, but then they're right. also thinking about it in a global sense now. Um, and so we were at um, another law firm that does public interest law in both of these areas. And we um, decided for our family that to go out on our own so we had some flexibility and, um, and continue along uh, doing the things that we, um, the Lord has gifted us in, but doing it together in right. ministry. And so the Peaceful Group is really set up as kind of a legal consulting shop that takes on um, organizations, a lot of whom are in the faith-based space um, and who want to... Um, enter into advocacy. So um, we have some adoption agencies that they don't need, um, you know, a full-time lawyer or a policy expert um, in-house, right. but they want to advocate when the adoption tax credit comes up right. um, for for refunding. And so um, as the peaceful group, we can walk alongside them and how do we message this law? How do we explain this to our base? How do we um, meet the right stakeholders mm -hmm. in D.C. to talk through that? Um and so it's a really neat, uh, we kind of get to do what we what we love and what we're passionate about, and we get to come alongside, especially the, those um, fellow Christians who are really trying to make a difference in the public policy and legal arena. So, um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Did I leave anything out? 
No, I think I think that covered it really well. It it's obviously a very niche practice, but one that from our work with just a lot of great organizations, whether it's as volunteers for them or donors to them or partnering with them on certain projects, we realized is kind of a need out there. And right. it would allow us to lend our kind of our, our unique expertise from both of us right. towards working together um, to help a lot of these organizations be more successful right. um, and, and allow them especially to serve in the trenches, helping families and helping communities um, on dignity issues and, and on, you know, First Amendment, basic freedom of speech and the ability to advocate for what you believe in and everything you do. It freed them up to allow them to continue doing that great work um, and allowing us to help them be able to advocate for that work in the public square. So, And so really even when you talk about constitutional law, human dignity, you get into the sanctity of human life. It's right at the center of the intersection of really both of your specialties is that whole idea of the sanctity of life. And so, and that's a piece that your group and your practice has defended to the sanctity of human life. There are both fierce defenders of the sanctity of life. Talk about what that looks like and how the Lord brought you both to that conviction. Yeah. I think we both grew up in the church. And so we always um, kind of had a um, biblical understanding from a young age of in the image of God, um, but I think life experiences have solidified that and amplified that in our lives. And for me, um, I am a paraplegic. I was in a car accident when I was eight years old, and so um, I have a disability. And and so as um, you know, a disabled woman, um, I I have a unique perspective to see that there's so often um, those in the disability community because of their they can't do are tossed right. aside and so I think that's given me a really unique perspective luckily I have a family who um, was able to advocate for me and to, to teach me okay this isn't going to change anything and right. you're gonna you're gonna God's gonna use you regardless and um, but it has given me a perspective a seated perspective uh, on on what it looks like to mm. to have value and what that means and how to how to give dignity to others, right. I think, is a huge piece of human dignity. It's not just saying, I see the Imago Dei or I see God in you. It's empowering. Okay, I see God in you. Let's figure out how you are to, how he has specially designed you to glorify him, um, which I think is a, a, is a really important step in, um, in the sanctity of life issue. Um, I also have a brother who came home through adoption. I lived in Africa for a while and met him and convinced my parents to adopt him because I couldn't. I was too young. Um, and um, so I've seen the side of vulnerable kids who um, are longing for a family and he um, has some met special medical needs. And so I've also gotten to, to see just the power, uh, God's power on display through adoption in our family has just been really formative to, to my passion and zeal for, for this issue. I'll also say this as Palmer's husband and, and, and what I've seen both in, when we were in college and we were just friends and um, when we dated and, and as her husband and now you know working together over the last few years that it, it's been interesting to see how you know what has happened in Palmer's life uniquely has put her in a position in which God is glorified because I can't tell you the number of people that feel comfortable of sharing things with Palmer merely by virtue of they are able to see that she has a physical disability because she's in a wheelchair and has a spinal cord injury. 
but they share and are incredibly vulnerable with her and sharing things that like they don't share with anyone right but they feel a certain comfort comfort there because they can see a a, a type of brokenness mm-hmm. as they see it um in, in a way that allows palmer to have a, a lot of amazing gospel conversations with people to encourage them on issues of dignity um to help restore dignity you know that as as the enemy tries to shame us into believing that we don't have that god-given dignity and the image of god inside of us um i think it's often up to us as christians to say like no like we see the image of god in everyone right regardless of what you've done regardless of what's been done to you um and i think that's important i grew up as you know a couple unique things about my background that i think make this a really passionate calling on my life beyond faith is uh, I'm an older brother of a younger sister with intellectual disabilities so that's just fundamentally reshaped how I mm. see the world and how I see other people um, I also grew up in Memphis Tennessee uh, going to public schools a city historically rife mm. with um, racial injustice and racial strife mm. um, in a way in which I grew up around a diverse array of people going to school and my best friends um, that uh, it hasn't been until I've gotten older that I've realized how unique that experience was, but also that when we talk about dignity issues and defending every life, I, you know, I can't help but view that through the lens of racial justice. Right. Um, in addition to, you know, who, who are the people in society um, who, you know, who their voice has been taken away in some ways. Right. And how can we restore that? Dignity in a time in which identity politics and all sorts of things are intended to divide us, but how can dignity be used to unite us all together despite our differences? Yeah. Um, people are hungry and thirsty for that because there's something you know, as C.S. Lewis says, there's something deep inside of us that connects to that truth, and there's a lot fighting against that today. And what I'm encouraged by is you know, the people I meet and talk with is, is they really are hungry and thirsty for that. Right. And I'm, I'm grateful for just how God uses us in spite of our shortcomings to, to, to be a part of that story in a lot of people's lives. So. so Joseph, you mentioned even your little sister and I know you, Palmer, you talked about, you've know, made the decision to one day be her guardian. Mm-hmm, yeah. Talk about just the importance of caring for life in that way. And just the insights that even as a couple that y'all talked about and considered and prayed about help other families that are in similar situations or who even may be considering adopting a child that has a long-term physical disability or mental disability that they know means they're gonna have to make long-term plans for. What what insight would you give folks that are going through similar situations? Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, uh, Joe's sister Mary Rose is um, just one of the neatest girls I've ever met. Um, but she also has some struggles, some big struggles that um, are going to be challenging when she comes into our home. But that was something that I, we knew going into marriage. It was something we talked about and, um, and we're excited about. Um, I'm sure that we will learn a ton when she does. But um, it was it's never been a question in our mind that we would care for Mary. Um, she's just a part of our family and a part of um, such a deep part of our boys' lives. And she's, she teaches them so much. I'm such a great aunt. Um, but we, I think we go into it with what, eyes wide open. I mean, Joseph grew up with Mary. He knows how, um, how tough it can be on days when, when uh, Mary has some 
um, emotional explosive mm. issues. And so they're, they're hard days. There are, especially um, with us having young kids, like that's not always who are also emotionally explosive. So um, <laughs> the combo is wonderful sometimes. But um, but we, Mary has taught me, and I know Joseph even more, so much about joy and about unconditional love. And um, God has gifted her in so many ways that um, caring for her isn't a burden. There'll be, there'll be hard days, but... Um, but it's it's an honor to get to step into that and um, something that we're preparing for and will until the day that she comes. I think I think in an era of like jaded cynicism and skepticism, individuals with intellectual disabilities uh, can remind us of a lot of fundamental truths mm-hmm. uh, from Scripture and from the Lord. Um, I took an anthropology class in undergrad. Um, to be honest, I probably didn't pay attention to much of it, but I think the Lord had me enroll in that class for one reason only, and that was one day we were just talking about the Amish community has a belief that individuals with disabilities are God's gift to teach us how to love better. And a lot of people hear that, and you imagine like, oh, like you were taught to love better because you must sacrifice, and there are difficult days, and therefore... You learn about love as an action and love as a verb and, you know, even through difficulty and that teaches you how to love better. And all of that can be true. But I, the power of, you know, that aphorism, aphorism from the Amish community is actually the inverse of that. It's like, no, it actually means exactly what it says. Individuals with intellectual disabilities often are the thing in my life, whether it's my sister or her friends or other neighbors we have. Uh, with intellectual disabilities, they actually actively teach me how to love other people better because of how they view people. In their eyes, everyone has inherent dignity of worth and and, and is special and worthy of love and worthy of having joy and celebration, not because of their job title, not because of how much money they have, not because of what car they drive, but because of just who God made them to be. Um, And as I get older, I need to be reminded of that more often than ever before. Um, and, and so that is something my sister and her friends and, um, other members of that community teach me. And, and it's, and it's a much purer picture of the gospel, uh, than, than any, anything I could come up with or any way that I interact with people on a daily basis. So, so in closing, I know both of y'all obviously through the law practice are able to advocate for life and to stand up for defense of life and protecting all lives. But what advice would you give to folks that don't have a legal degree or maybe the platform that you do, but just in everyday America, how can people on the streets stand up and protect life? You know, I think the, the first place to start um, is through language and through words. So I think, you know, we have this six and stones can break your bones, but words can never hurt me. I think it's just so such mm. false <laughs> teaching. Um, God spoke the world into being. Words matter. The way we talk about people matters. And I think the way that we talk about our neighbors um, and that from the unborn child to the immigrant refugee to the elderly, the words that we use matter deeply to the vulnerable children that we're serving. Um, and so I would say the first place to start is in your vocabulary. How are you speaking about, are you using dignity no matter what the circumstances it are especially kind of when we're thinking about the policy and legal um, and political realm 
are we using words and are we amplifying messengers especially to the average person who's retweeting or um or uh, reposting an article are we elevating messengers who are speaking about um, the imago day and about the dignity of all i think that's um, a crucial place to start and then i think um finding that thing that part of the the spectrum of life where is it that you can serve in your community that's the tri- that's the first line of defense we actually um when we started our a law practice way before when we were at a firm we were doing some life issues about six months in to to doing legal for life cases i said oh my gosh like i'm not serving at my local pregnancy resource center but i'm I'm walking into court and helping with these pro-life cases. And it was just such an aha moment of what am I doing? This work I'm doing is important, but, but God has first called me to where he's, our location isn't an accident. He's put us where he's put us where um, we are for a reason. And so we immediately got involved with our local centers. We can't be hypocrites in this. We have to have some skin in the game and also know what's going on. And that's been such a huge um, part of our journey. So just start, um, my friend Mary Beth Chapman always says, you know, not everyone's called to adopt, but everyone's called to do something. And so um, whatever that looks like along that spectrum of life, just start. Yeah. I, I, I kind of build off of that and say um, that, you know, those you know, unborn children, immigrants and refugees, also the people that disagree with us on these issues right. that may talk about the unborn child or the immigrant or refugee differently than how we do. Um, treating them with dignity right. and respect. Hear out where they're coming from. Make the best case to them. Mm-hmm. In an era of kind of constant outrage and debate, I find it interesting that when you read the Gospels, everyone comes to Jesus looking for a fight mm-hmm. and an argument and a debate, and Jesus never responds in kind. Right. He, 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 he never accepts the debate and the argument as it comes to him on the terms in which they're brought, but always subverts and inverts the conversation. And, and sometimes those individuals understand what's happening and sometimes they don't, but it's always done in equal parts love and truth. There's always a tendency, and, and I love Dr. Moore has written this before, but there's a tendency to view love and truth as something in tension, but... You know, I like that Russell Moore says, actually, love and truth are personified in a person yeah. in equal parts, 100% in Jesus Christ. Um, and it's important to remember that and see how he engaged with everyone that came to him. Um, and that's a powerful conviction and an encouraging reminder to me um, on this issue on, on another very practical matter. So that happens with whoever you're interacting with online, in person, every single day. On a more practical issue, both in my unsuccessful campaign for the state house in Tennessee and then working for the newly elected governor of Tennessee, I realized the power of someone who is persistent and winsome and knowledgeable and tells their story. Um, it's, it's surprising how big of an impact that can have in the political and policy space to someone who says, this is vitally important to me. So unborn children. Um, immigrants, refugees, educational reform, racial justice, all of the above. Um, 
it it is it is very very interesting how someone who with conviction who makes their case and is persistent and principled how much impact they can have and, and how far that story can go you know the man i'm working for billy who's going to be the next governor of tennessee he he has never held elected office before it was not on his radar it was nothing he thought he's a businessman he's a ceo but he after a tragedy in his life he decided to invest in the community around him he started mentoring a young man from the inner city and he started mentoring an individual who was incarcerated in prison and his eyes were opened to lives and communities completely different from his own but right in his hometown of nashville tennessee and and he realized oh like these men aren't alone there are whole systemic systems in need of reform that are broken and unjust and which human dignity is not being restored and upheld uh and that eventually led him to running for governor and and he was an underdog when he entered the race but he won and 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 he is excited to uh help do that you know for every tennessean and 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 that's an encouraging story to me because that's an example of someone who just wakes up one day and you're you know what i want to learn about someone's life who's different from my own i want to see how i'm similar to them and how i'm different Well, thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. For more information or to connect with me, please visit HerbieNewell.com. To partner with Lifeline, visit LifelineChild.org. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at LifelineChild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel to you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again next week for the Defender Podcast.